I thought it would be a good idea to have a conversation with my mom as a conclusion to a series of podcasts that I did about pregnancy and options for women and people's choices. And uh, this all stemmed from my fascination with a trend of free birth or wild birth or wild pregnancy that has been going on that I knew wasn't for me. Um, I knew that I wanted to have my birth in a hospital setting and wanted to share a little bit about my experience of why I'm grateful that I did that and um, just talk about how, as a first-time mom, how the decisions that I was faced with, um, I wasn't really aware were even an option um, and just hoping that my experience hopefully will help people in the future. So first off, I want to welcome my mom, Angela Daenerys. Um, if you could just talk a little bit about what you did for your p profession and what was your first reaction to hearing those first podcasts that I had recorded. Hi, everyone. I am a certified nurse midwife and have... Um, worked in this profession for 40 years, both in a practice role as well as a teaching role at the University of Utah Nurse Midwifery and Women's Health Nurse Practitioner Programs. And I taught normal obstetrics as well as high risk. So when Olivia said that she was fascinated about wild birth, I was pretty horrified because I knew all the potential complications that could happen to a woman, not only during pregnancy, but during labor and postpartum. Yeah, and I was um, just not aware. I mean, I, I was fascinated by this concept of uh, being empowered to do it on your own and have this magical experience of doing it at home and trusting in your body, trusting in the process. And um, as somebody that has suffered from previous uh, traumas as a kid, uh, uh, in particular around sexual abuse, which is pretty common for women when they get pregnant to have complications, I just knew that it wasn't for me. So I knew that being in a hospital setting was going to be a place that I felt the most safe. And again, um, happy that I did so because it actually ended up having a cesarean. He was completely stuck and <laughs> would not have come out. I probably would have continued to labor for two days and we both would have died. Um, so again, I just gave like the basics of what happened, but it, mom, if you could give a little bit more detail in the terms of all the three different positions that he was in that made it so he was stuck. Well, first a little background. About 80 to 90% of births actually go very well. And if you're one of the lucky ones uh, that doesn't have any complications, um, that's wonderful, but the problem is that it's very, very difficult to predict who will have complications and who will not. Certainly we know women who have obesity, 
type 2 diabetes, gestational diabetes, type 1 diabetes, preeclampsia, um, and other complications in pregnancy lead to a higher rate of cesarean section and complications with their labor. However, even women who are completely healthy with no risk factors whatsoever like me, um, can have complications with their birth or in postpartum. Uh, the, birth can, the labor can stall out. The baby can be in um, a, a position that's not ideal uh, to come into the uh, birth canal and be able to deliver vaginally. Women can have a postpartum hemorrhage. Women can develop preeclampsia while they're in labor or immediately postpartum. They can have postpartum hemorrhage. All of these things can potentially be life-threatening for both the baby and the mother. And in fact, um, before the age of modern medicine, um, Infant mortality could be as high as 1 in 10, and matern maternal mortality, depending on whether they had a traditional birth attendant or a skilled birth attendant or a midwife uh, at home, the maternal mortality rate could also be as high as 1 in 10 to 1 in 25. So it's unfortunate that um, labor and birth postpartum are so high risk for women but anybody who has walked through a cemetery that is from the 1800s will readily find a birth death of infants and mothers in the in the cemetery so it is important that um, a birth is attended so that um, women and babies can be born healthy. Okay, but you did not answer my question. <laughs> so what are the three positions of why Nikolai was stuck and not coming out? Well, for many weeks before the birth, Olivia could feel... Nikolai's hand down very low in her abdomen, which is a little bit unusual. And in addition to that, his back was rarely in a good position for labor. So I could feel that his back was um, on the side of her abdomen, meaning the baby's head was coming down in a transverse position. Occasionally I could feel it in a posterior position. So what do those two and things mean? The, that means that the back of the baby, when it's posterior, is towards the back of the mother. And when that happens, it's a wider diameter of the baby's head coming in to the pelvis. So that's the posterior. That's the posterior position. And if it's transverse, it means the baby's head is actually looking at her opposite hip. Um, again, not an ideal position for the baby to go into labor. They won't fit through the pelvis 
in that position. And anterior is the ideal position where their back is to my tummy. That's right. That's right. So the the back of the baby is is on the anterior or the front part of the woman's abdomen. So that was number one. So as her labor progressed, or didn't progress actually, <laughs> um, unfortunately the nurses couldn't tell me what position she was in, as, a, as well as they couldn't tell me whether or not the baby's head was engaged into the pelvis. So we rank engagement as to how low the baby's head is in the pelvis. And there's two little protrusions in the spine called the ischial spines. And those ischial spines, if the baby's, the widest diameter of the baby's head is at the ischial spines, that means it's at a zero station and the baby's engaged and the baby's head most likely then can fit through the pelvis. Unfortunately, Nikolai's head never was engaged. It was at a minus one from the last day she was checked before she went into labor all the way up to her cesarean section. And this was due to the fact that he settled into her pelvis in a posterior position on her right side. In addition to that, his head was crooked. It's called asynclitic, when the head doesn't come straight down, but instead comes into the pelvis cocked to the side. The third problem is that his <laughs> hand that had been tickling her for weeks was up by the side of his head, also making it impossible for his head to engage. So any one of those three things could have prevented him from uh, coming out vaginally. And um, on top of that, he was a large baby. <laughs> yep, he was eight pounds, nine ounces. Oh, sorry, 10 ounces <laughs> at birth. And that's a pretty big baby to deliver vaginally, but particularly when it's in a posterior position. Yeah. So coming back to just like how grateful I was that I was not at home, that I was in a situation that I could get assistance. Um, the unfortunate thing about it is that being somebody that wanted as least amount of intervention as possible, I did not sign an epidural form because I was so against it. I actually heard on one of these um, wild birth uh, platforms that I was following that when a woman takes an epidural during labor, it teaches her child that you take substances when things get hard. And now I've realized that that's a pretty cruel way to look at it because um, my situation would have ended up the same anyways, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, and since I did not sign that epidural form, uh, the hospital's policy that I was at did not allow you to, um, to change your mind, basically, um, at a certain point in time, even if it was medically indicated, which 
it turned out to be because they wanted to be able to see if they could change his position, that they wouldn't be able to do that procedure without the epidural. So um, just sharing that information that an epidural could actually prevent you from getting a cesarean. I never would have thought that in my entire life. Um, so yeah, just sharing that little piece of information, um, I hope, makes the stigma of it go away a little bit for hopefully anybody that hears this that's really against using any sort of substances to help them. Because um, I am, I mean, I didn't even take anything more than a Benadryl when I got stung by a wasp and my hand swelled up to my elbow <laughs> during pregnancy um, and figured, okay, if it goes past my elbow, I probably should take something to prevent the swelling to go to my heart. But um, yeah, just just recognizing that it's okay to ask for help. I think the other issue here, though, is that if Nikolai had been in a normal anterior position, you would have been able to deliver vaginally without the epidural. But the problem is, in a posterior position, labor is always longer and much more painful. In addition to that, when you're under that much pain, your cortisol level is so high that it's difficult for the body to relax enough to allow labor to occur naturally. So it's part of the fight or flight process that if a woman, you know, when we were 10,000, 50,000 years ago, if a woman felt threatened, she wouldn't give a baby, deliver a baby until she was in a safe place and felt like she could deliver her baby without fear of uh, being threatened by whatever animal is chasing her. So um, we do know that women need, at times, pain relief just to be able to have their body function normally in labor. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely was experiencing that. Um, because also I was holding myself in a position that you knew something was wrong. I was holding myself in uh, my front, like I was experiencing a lot of pain in the front of my pelvis, um, which was radiating from my nerve being pinched. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a good lesson to learn and I'm grateful that you were there um thank you yeah because if you listen to the other podcasts leading up to this I was very much um stubborn about how my vision was of uh bringing Nikolai into the world and how um you know you have these ideals that might not be realistic or might not even be um, ideals when it comes down to it because I at the end of the day he was healthy I survived and I got to take him home you know like that's all that matters um, even though I'm definitely experiencing trauma from the situation and I'm definitely disappointed um, but yeah keeping in mind about what is important and um, grateful, uh, rooting in that gratitude rather than um, the woulda, coulda, shouldas.
Yeah. And what I want to say is that Olivia was the most courageous, brave, strongest woman I've ever been with in labor because she was in transition for about eight hours, which is the hardest, most painful part of labor. And I have gratitude to Dr. Miller, who came in to do the C-section. He was kind, caring, and extremely knowledgeable. So I knew that she was in really, really good hands. Yeah, he actually also did something really cool that he had never done before. I was really wanting the uh, placenta to stay attached, um, the umbilical cord to stay attached to Nikolai um, for an amount of time and not immediately be cut. Um, he's just like, well, I've never done that before, but I'll try it. And he did. He totally did. He um, got the placenta out with Nikolai, wrapped it up, and handed Nikolai to me for a good 20 minutes before um, they detached it. And that just, that I, like I said, I got to be grateful for what did go right, what I did get what I wanted. Um, and that was a huge thing for me. And that was really cool. We actually took the placenta and had a little ceremony and buried it on our land, um, which felt really magical. And you showed us all the different parts of it and its function of it and showed also where it was getting old because he was almost two weeks overdue. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was cool to be able to, to see that organ that is so magical. Well, I just have so much gratitude in being able to be there, being your support with Austin. What a great team Austin and I made together through helping you and just how beautiful your baby boy is. Yeah, he is a beautiful boy. So a lot of people are going to wonder, what does this have to do with sound? What does this have to do with movement? What does this have to do with thought? But I have been fascinated by how people are brought into the world and their birth story, and that's how um, it affects how they move through the world. Um, I also, Soul Song Solutions, the name came from uh, being inspired by a tribe in Africa who has a tradition of the woman, when she's pregnant, goes into the wilderness and she comes up with a song for her baby. And then she comes back to the village and she teaches it to all the people in the village. And then every year, rather than singing happy birthday, they sing that song to the, to the person. So Nikolai's isn't really a song. It's more of a poem. But here it goes. It's your earth day. It's your birthday. Welcome to the world, little one. Each year is a new way, a new cycle, a new circle, a new path to clear, little one. We must look inside, for there we will find what we are searching for, little one. And as I say this, you may no longer be a little one. So, thank you. Thank you, Mom. I've learned a lot from you. I've been stubborn as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so grateful that I finally am a mom, because there is nothing more than I have wanted in my entire life. Thank you, my beautiful daughter.
And you're going to be a phenomenal mother. I hope so, but I'm also going to inevitably mess up, as we all do. <laughs> as we all do. And we need to forgive ourselves. That's right. Yeah. I Thanks. love you. I love you, too. I love Nikolai. Oh, God, I love him, too. <laughs>